morning, everyone. Pastor Greg here. Merry Christmas, December 20. Trust that you are well and safe and enjoying this holiday season best you can. And let me just uh, remind you that we're not letting COVID or anything else stop us from the meaningful celebrations and traditions around the Christmas holiday. And we're going to be celebrating Christmas Eve in just a few days and we want you to be ready for that service. And so as you've, as you've heard, and as I want to just reinforce, we have little bags that we want to distribute to you that have all the goodies that you'll need for Christmas Eve celebration. Communion elements will be there. The candles will be there. A special thank you note from me, an offering envelope for the Christmas offering. All of that you can pick up at the church today from noon until 2 p.m., today, just after these services. Now, I know you're out running around. I've seen you out running around. You're going all over town doing your business. You can stop by the church today, Sunday, December 20, from noon until 2 and pick up a bag. And we'll fill it specifically for the number of people in your family, your group, and you'll be ready to go for Christmas Eve. There are two other opportunities to pick up these bags on Tuesday and Wednesday this week from 4 p.m. until 6 p.m. So Tuesday and Wednesday, 4 to 6, grab your bag. Listen, we have 500 of these bags prepared. You have to come by and pick them up. Otherwise, we're going to be buried in these bags. So come and pick them up, and this will add great meaning to our Christmas Eve, which we'll celebrate together this week. And uh, we look forward to being with you that time, too. Well, today I want to talk about Christmas, and I want to talk about how important it is to celebrate this important holiday. I've chosen as our text today from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 17. Now, Deuteronomy, if you'll remember, this is a a restating of the law, and so we are getting the law of Moses now reinforced into the nation of Israel, and there are certain commands that God gave his people. We all know about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, covet, uh, lie. The big ten, these ten commandments. In the same context where God is commanding people to follow these moral laws, he also commands the people, put this on your calendar, three times a year, three major events, festivals, feasts, if you will, Passover, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, these three celebrations, he said, put this in the book, practice it every year, whether that's a good year, an abundant year, or a lean year, like a COVID year, no matter the context of the circumstance, I want you to get together and party. It's a command. I want to read these verses to you. Picks up Chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, where the Passover has been described. And then verse 9, we have the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Verse 9, he said, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, 
and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered, gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, Passover, the festival of weeks, Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, may God inspire the reading of his word today, and may we take to heart this command to celebrate his goodness and faithfulness and provision. Amen. Amen. Well, did you know, maybe you're just learning, that the Lord actually commands all of his people to have celebrations on a regular basis. Same context that we find the Ten Commandments. We find Jesus also putting on the annual calendar for the nation of Israel these opportunities to celebrate. So Deuteronomy 16 lists these three feasts. Let me rehearse them. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is Passover. The Feast of First Fruits, or the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest, we call it Pentecost. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Tabernacles are just another word for tents. This is, this is to memorialize the journey from Egypt into the land of Canaan under Moses. They w wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, you remember this. And they lived in tents, tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles. And so for celebrating these feasts, everyone was to come to the national hometown of Jerusalem. And these celebrations were actually written into the law of God's people. Uh, so the Lord said, thou shalt feast, celebrate, rejoice. And he called everybody to do it. Everybody, whether they were Jews or not. If you're part of Jewish culture, the foreigners, the widows, the orphans, your sons, your daughters, everybody in your family, gather together and party. And let me just remind us today, because we need to be reminded, especially in the context of this year that we've had, that joyful celebration, are you listening? Joyful celebration is completely consistent with the character of God. This is who he is. God loves a celebration. God loves rejoicing. God loves a party. God loves it. That's why he commanded it, commanded us to do it. Now, let me just remind you, there are two great principles that are fundamental to God's order for his people. Two great principles. Listen to this carefully. The first is sacrifice. Now, think about that. Think about that for a moment. In sacrifice, God was calling people to come to terms with their relationship with him. So they sacrificed animals. The shedding of blood was required in order to, to provide for the remission of sins so that the relationship between God and his people could be, could be restored and sustained. Life for a life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. 
And so this was a principle that God put into place. And so all through history, the way God reconciled his relationship with his people was through sacrifice. People had to sacrifice. Now, we, we see this all the way up to Jesus, who made the supreme sacrifice, that once and for all, his sacrifice satisfied the demands of God's wrath, and the penalty of our sin was removed. And so at the heart of our relationship with God, fundamental to the, to the order that God has established for his people is sacrifice. And so we recognize that. Now, there's a second there's a second principle that's also fundamental to our relationship with God. One is sacrifice, and the other is feasting. It's celebrating. It's rejoicing. So then in the feast, what God did was invite the people of God to celebrate in the context of this restored relationship. Your relationship with me through sacrifice has been restored. Time to party. That is worth celebrating. That is worth rejoicing over. So it's recognizing that in that restored relationship with God, there's liberty, there's freedom, there's the opportunity to, to reach your full potential in the wonderful plan, purpose, and blessing of God. So in Deuteronomy 16, this is, a, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. We find four principles that are important parts of the celebration that God has ordained. These four principles, I want to just rehearse them with you. They are remembrance, rejoicing, feasting, and giving. Remembrance, rejoicing, feasting, and giving. Now let's rehearse those just briefly. In remembrance, verse 12 from our passage today says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and so follow these decrees carefully. So here's the mandate. Remember I extricated you from Egyptian bondage. You were there as slaves 400 years, and I got you out. And so here is the mandate. Here's the instructions then for the feast. The first one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was the Feast of Passover. This, this first Passover, you'll recall, took place as part of the 10th plague that God placed upon Egypt to help remove the Israelites from this bondage, this slavery, and it was the death of the firstborn. You remember this? They took the, the blood of a spotless lamb and put it over the doorpost of their homes. In other words, this covenant, this blood covenant that God established with his people, now they have dem demonstrated this in such a powerful way through the, the death of this lamb and the blood spread so that when, when, death, when death came upon Egypt, it could not touch. It could not break through the covenant in blood to touch the Israelites. And they were all saved. This is a powerful, powerful moment. And so it reminds Israel of how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. The, so the Passover experience, the Passover celebration, the Passover feast was to remember the way that God had liberated them from that bondage. And of course, we remember Christ's sacrifice as Christians and what that means to us. We, we see the symbolism. We see how rich it is that Jesus, once and for all, the spotless Lamb of God, shed his blood on our behalf. And as we make application of that sacrifice, a covenant is made with God that nothing can touch. Not death, not hell, not the grave, not any enemy of humanity can touch. 
because of the strength of the covenant made through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's time to remember, time to remember. And then the second feast, this was 50 days later, Pentecost, penta meaning five, 50 days after the Passover, this second feast, a beautiful demonstration of remembering to thank God for every harvest in our lives, every, every provision that God has made for us, every, every means by which he has met our needs. And it's, it's the feast of Pentecost or harvest, the feast of weeks. And then the third was to remember the Lord's sustaining grace in the wilderness, Feast of Tabernacles, just to remind them that they lived in tents. They were nomadic for 40 years and God fed them. God protected them. God healed them. God provided every way. He sustained them in the midst of a desert time. And so how do we remember? We remember the faithfulness of God to supply our needs. We remember the sustaining grace of God through the course of our years. And in 2020, I just want to submit to you that we have much to reflect on, much to remember, and to realize that God has sustained us. He has kept us. God has been with us. God has provided for us. And there is cause to remember these things. So this is the first part of of the principles of celebration and recognition of God's goodness. It provokes celebration. Verse 11 from our text says, rejoice therefore before the Lord your God. In other words, God is not, listen, God is not shocked. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed when the people of God celebrate. He's not offended. He's not put off. He's not, why are those people so happy? That's, That's not the God we serve. In fact, the world thinks that God is always stern and solemn. The world thinks that God's always all sober and serious. And it's not true. So what the world does is it creates its own gods to worship around. And we see worship of all kinds of things and all kinds of people and all kinds of events. And we see, the, see humanity worshiping in these moments. And the reason that humanity senses the need to find something else to worship is because they've got this horrible concept of who God is. That God is just too solemn, he's too serious and too stern to actually enjoy a celebration. But that's, that's just not right. Nothing could be further from the truth. But the living God then allows for pure joy in his people, filled with all kinds of release. And by the way, when we celebrate God's way, uh, there's no bondage involved. There's no hangover involved. There's no repercussions, you know. It's not... What happens in that party has to stay in that party. It's all good. It's a liberating, freedom-giving, redemptive way to celebrate. And God encourages us. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of some of the suggestions that uh, I've heard people make around Christmas. And let me just make those for you. I'll put these on the screen for you. Uh, Here here are some Christmas suggestions for you. Here's number one. Attend a Christmas Eve candlelight service. You can do that. You can do it online. Just come right back to this address on Christmas Eve this week, and we are going to celebrate with candles. Number two, invest some time caring or serving others. Caring for or serving others. It's a great thing to do. Number three, drive around and look at the light displays. Jesus is the light of the world. This is, this is the roots, the genesis of why we light the world around Christmas. Number four, feast with gratitude. Eat too much without guilt. Eat too much. It's what you do. 
It's called a feast. Number five, take a small gift to your neighbor and introduce yourself. <laughs> they, you may not know each other. It's an interesting world we live in. We're, we're, we're close in proximity, but very far away in relationship. Number six, do not turn down fudge or cookies this year. Here's what you do. Someone puts a plate of fudge in front of you, you just go, well, maybe just one. It's all good. Uh, number seven, sing Christmas carols loudly. When we sing at Christmas Eve, you're in your house, your living room there. Maybe it's just your family or maybe you've got a small group there. Listen, sing loudly. You don't have to be on key. Just sing. S sing enthusiastically. Number eight, watch It's a Wonderful Life, that movie, at least once. I've already watched it. I watch it every year at least once. Uh, and I always cry at the end. I, I cried again at the end this year. And so you have to watch it. Number nine, greet people with Merry Christmas. Don't flinch. Don't blink. Don't apologize. Don't equivocate. Just say Merry Christmas with a big smile. Say it with some enthusiasm and you'll get a good response. Merry Christmas. And number 10, give yourself afresh and anew to Christ, the Christ of Christmas. You won't regret it. You won't be disappointed. So the first command is to remember, and we have much to remember in God's faithfulness. Here's the second thing, and that is rejoicing. Verse 11 from our text, and when you gather together, rejoice. Rejoice in the goodness of God. Uh, celebrate with joyful praise. Uh, for Christians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 is very powerful. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. How do you do it? Rejoice with feasting, not feeling guilty about it. Rejoice with decorations and fragrances that prompt remembrance and fun of what it's all about. Celebrate, especially with the children who find this time of, of year so meaningful and so so wonderful and so memorable and and just adorn your house put up a tree light the lights hang the garland set out the nativity scenes do all the things you do I mean and just go over and above this year I, I dare you to do it I challenge you to do it to find meaningful celebration don't let the circumstances of culture and all of the and all of that burden that all of us carry through this year, just don't let it keep you from this celebration. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let me just remind you, rejoicing is not giddy. It's not. It's not goofy. Rejoicing is godly. God commands it. God expects it. God's anticipating it. So rejoice. Now, here's the third thing, feasting. Verse 14, it's in very plain English. Gather together, praise the Lord with rejoicing. Uh, when you gather to worship, then go into your homes with the orphans, the destitute, the foreigners, all your relatives. And then the Lord said, feast. Get everybody together and then feast. And let me just say, and let me remind you that sitting down at the holiday dinner table is always scriptural. God commands it. God expects it. God wants you to do it. And let me just uh, uh, affirm and, and admire people in our congregation that I know who reach out to folks who they, they realize will be alone at Christmas if they aren't included. And 
lots of stories I've heard over the years of people who invite your neighbor or invite a single person or a, a widowed person or someone whose family isn't close enough for them to be with them, and, they invi- and you invite them to your home and, and include them at the table and allow them to celebrate Christmas with you. That's a great instinct, and that's exactly what God commanded. He said, bring the orphans, the widows, the foreigners, everyone on the margins, and include them in the feast. Now, it reminds me of a list of things I found a few years ago. I want to share it with you again. These are top 10 things you don't want to hear at the Christmas dinner table. So here's number 10. Uh, I'm just using up cranberry sauce I had left over from last Christmas. Nobody wants to hear that. Don't. Number nine. So I figured if I'm dieting, everybody's dieting. Stop that. That's not good. That's not godly. Number, number eight. Just brush the frost off the turkey before you carve it. No. No, not appropriate. Number seven, who wants bologna? Oh, boy. Number six, thought I'd save a little time and just leave the feathers on. No, no, here's, here's the thing. You cannot trust great-grandma with that bird. She's just not, she's not right, and so this can happen. Number five, I'm trying out a brand-new stuffing recipe. Hope you like licorice. I can't. I can't even imagine. Number four, Uh, Before we eat, I thought we could just go around the table and take turns telling our favorite Christmas story. No, 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 don't do that. That's not good. Number three, oh, wait, we didn't get a picture. Everybody put your food back. There's always one in the family like that. Just ignore them. Just keep eating. Number two, put on that cute record about grandma and the reindeer while we eat. That, that comment usually comes from Cousin Eddie, so not to be taken seriously. And then number one thing you don't want to hear at the Christmas table is, here's the fruitcake. Grandma, please, just don't, don't get it out. Don't thaw it out. Don't present it. It's not good. No. So we have remembering, we have rejoicing, and we have feasting. Aren't these great? Aren't these great things? And one more thing, and that's the giving. Verse 17 from our text, and it says very clearly, don't come to the place where we remember, where we rejoice, where we feast. Don't come to that place empty-handed. Don't come empty-handed. But bring an offering that is in proportion to the way God has blessed you in the prior year. So celebration means giving. It means giving in the sense of of offerings to special opportunities, just like we have here at Union Chapel at Christmas every year. And it's giving in the sense of giving and exchanging gifts and receiving gifts. And that's good and a godly thing as well. The Bible's clear about this, that the people of God should be engaged in the rhythms and the practices and the values in giving. We see it all through the scripture. We see it taught consistently by Jesus and the apostles. We see it practiced all through the covenant, the covenant people and their traditions and their feasts and their festivals and their rhythms in the Old Testament. And we see it throughout the New and indeed throughout history. Giving is a critically important part of the celebration of God's work in our lives. So sharing should include those who are in your gates 
as verse 17 says, meaning your family, your employees, your strangers, the orphans, the widows. And then the Lord, whose heart embraces all, wants us to include in our celebrations those who would otherwise be left out. And so our Christmas offering this year, and when you think about those who may be left out, we're funding the Blood and Fire Christmas store. Hundreds of families might not have Christmas otherwise, and especially this year when it's been so lean and so hard. And so that's a great thing. That's a godly thing. That's a biblical thing. We're giving to uh, the children's Bible, Light Their Path, and we're distributing children's Bibles all over the community and other parts of the world. Uh, the, the offering will also include the Winchester House for Women in Recovery, and we have a special ministry connection there, and, and numbers of these women who've lived in the Winchester House have attended Union Chapel and been baptized here, and their lives are being changed and transformed. And the largest portion of our Christmas offering this, this year is going to a partnership that we've just signed with Urban Light Community Church here in Muncie, and we are going to purchase and renovate and staff and program a men's residency home men in recovery. Uh, it's a missing link in the chain here in Delaware County, and we are very excited about this partnership, and we have committed a substantial amount of money and resource in order to meet this important need. This is perfectly consistent with what Jesus said, that those who are outside of and, and on the margins of and on the fringe of and who, who, who have special need and are poor or widowed or orphaned, you can, see, you can see the cascading consequence, negative consequence of addictive patterns in people's lives. And it's become so much more intense through this COVID season. And we know that the need is, is great. And so responding to this need at this time couldn't be more strategic, couldn't be more honorable to God and consistent with what he calls us to do. So these areas, these areas, think about this. Remembering what God has done. Rejoicing in his goodness and faithfulness. Celebrating that with a feast. Having a party. Enjoying one another's company in the presence of God. And giving out of the proportion of God's blessing to us. These are the things that make for a meaningful, honorable, blessed celebration. The party of God. The celebration of Christmas. I hope that's meaningful to you as it is to me. And let's pause just for a few moments and dedicate this process and our intentions to celebrate Christmas this year in prayer. Would you pray with me? Could I just encourage you right now to pause and think about your blessings? Take note of your blessings. Will you do that? You say, boy, blessings have seemed to be a little bit far and in between this past year, well, just remember what God has done because we all have reason to be thankful. Remember what God has done for you. And then rejoice by giving God the worship he deserves. He is worthy. So we rejoice. And then anticipate the feast with family and friends and anticipate that without guilt. No remorse. No bondage, no hangover, feast, and then finally give. Give as an expression of your gratitude to God and your compassion for others. 
God, we thank you for your blessings. We recognize all these things are from you. We confess sometimes life gets busy, life gets hard, lots of pressure points, and we lose track of our primary loyalties and values. So help us to remember your goodness and rejoice in our worship and feast in celebration and give as an expression of our gratitude and care for others. God, we know you love a party. So help us to engage the Christmas celebration, particularly in this year, with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.